you would remain standing as you read, read God's word. I am Kala. I am on staff here. And this morning we're going to be reading Philippians 2, 12 through 18, continuing our summer sermon series on Philippians. I'd encourage you to read it along in the Blue Bibles. It's page 570. So I'll give you a moment to grab that. If you're using your phone, we'll be reading from the ESV. Okay. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Um, hey, if we haven't met or if you're on the podcast and I recognize my voice, uh, my name is Ben. I serve as an elder here. Um, and the, the tape was my idea, so if you came in and saw it, I... Emailed Cal and said, hey, I would love, love for more people to sit closer to the front so it feels, feels more like closer together. Philippians is so much about family and, and, and community and I want to feel, feel really close to everybody. I kind of said, ah, maybe, maybe I should even be down in the front. And Cal politely reminded me that I'm short. She's like, ah, if you're in the front, people aren't going to be able to see you. <laughs> she said it nicer than that, but, you know, I, I knew what she meant. So, um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, we are in, we're in week four of an eight-week journey through the book of Philippians. So um, this week we'll be wrapping up uh, the study of chapter two, and then over the next couple of weeks, uh, Matt Greco is going to lead us through chapter three. Um, if you're following along when Cal read for us, you might have noticed that we stopped in verse 18, um, but this chapter does continue for another 12 verses after that. Um, verses 19 through 30 are, are interesting. I, Paul's talking about two specific people. Epaphroditus and Timothy kind of talking about how they've supported him and they've supported the Philippians and um, it's, it's, it's good and it's good stuff and I don't want to downplay the significance of anything in scripture but as I was preparing this week and praying God made it very clear that our time together needs to be in, in verses 12 and 13 primarily and, and kind of in this section. Um, all that being said, there's one thing that Paul does right at the end in verses 29 and 30 um, that I want to do as well, I believe is very important. It's an important practice um, that he's modeling for us. Uh, he says, so receive him in the Lord, talking about Epaphroditus, with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. We don't have a lot of context for that. We just know that Epaphroditus faithfully served Paul, faithfully served the Philippians, and he tells them, hey, um, receive him in the Lord with joy and, and, and show him honor, give him honor. And so I want, to, uh, I want to do that. I want, I want to honor um, some people at Icon who, e even though it's been hard, even though it's not always convenient or easy, have continued to faithfully serve us and serve the Lord. So first of all, anyone who has been in Icon Kids on the welcome team with Sound in Production, 
Um, if you've gone out on UGM Search and Rescue, if you've helped Cala behind the scenes, with a, whether it's a women's gathering, the website, or um, helped our guys by serving at men's breakfast, just want to say thank you um, and, sh and show you all some honor. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it takes all of us working together to do this. First Corinthians 12 talks about the body of Christ being made up, up of one of many members. And there's no member that's any less valuable, any less important. There's no service that is lesser than, than any other. Um, the body needs every piece to be healthy from the smallest blood vessels to our heart and our brain. So um, if you have, have picked up any kind of a role in serving our church, um, thank you. We appreciate it. Our family needs that and appreciates it. Um, so there's a few people that I want to mention by name, right, uh, that have carried a very significant load over the last seven months. Um, so first, uh, Daniel Hearn, Justin Seen, Lindsay Nelson, Crystal Duncan, Mark Toison, Nate Farner. Um, thank you guys for, for faithfully leading us in worship through song and music. Um, if you don't know Daniel, Daniel and Justin, you, you have never seen them up here. They're behind the, week every, uh, they're behind the scenes every week. Um, working with our volunteers, often on their own, doing setup, tear down, making sure that I have batteries, um, making the slides for us, and just being a consistent presence. We know that if, if we don't have someone one week to run the slides, one of them's going to pop in there and do it for us. So um, they are helping us in that way. Um, Daniel even told me that he worked all night and then his alternator broke down, and so he is running on just a few hours of sleep, but he was here on time and early like he always is. Um, so huge, huge thank you to them. And um, and, and if you've been up here leading us, right, the Bible is full of psalms and hymns and commands to worship the Lord with gladness. Um, Ephesians 5 talks about walking together in love. And we read, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. A few verses later, Paul encourages them to address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Um, Lindsay, Crystal, Mark, Nate, others, thank you for serving us, for serving this family by using the gifts of music and song um, to lead us in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs from our heart. Our community group leaders, right? Uh, back in January and, and throughout this year, we have continued to encourage everyone to lean into community, lean into each other, let's walk together in community groups. Um, this year hasn't been what anyone expected, uh, your community group leaders included, and we've asked a lot of them this year. So I just want to, to call them out and honor them as well. Uh, Josh Sung and Grace Choi, Lindsay Nelson and Chris Jones, Josh and Rebecca Obendorf, Christina Romero, um, Nate and Crystal Duncan. Romans 15, 14, Paul tells the Roman church that I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Um, each of you has and continues to play an important role in leading, serving, and helping this church family instruct each other to know God and to know what his word says. We wouldn't, wouldn't be here with, without everyone's contribution. And finally, Calla Jordan. Um, if she wasn't here week in and week out, nothing that happens on a Sunday and most of what happens during the week would be possible at all. Um, in this section of Philippians, Paul tells the Philippian church that Epaphroditus has served him in ways the Philippians couldn't, right? It's, it's assumed that Epaphroditus traveled with Paul for a period of time. He brought him uh, financial gifts, physical gifts from, from that Philippian church. He was a go-between. Um, and in this, in this section here, he says he has served him so well and so selflessly that he almost died. Um, not from persecution, but he like, physically became so ill, um, he almost died, but continued in his commitment and selflessness. Um, I don't believe Cal has had any near-death experiences this year. I hope not. Um, but she has served us with that same level of commitment and selflessness that Epaphroditus displayed for the, for the Philippians 
and for Paul. Um, Romans 12.10 tells us to love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Right? This type of recognition and encouragement, both publicly, individually, should be a regular rhythm in our lives as Christians, whether it's from up on a stage or just one-on-one in a conversation. Um, we should be reminding each other of the ways that God is, is using us in each other's lives, not to puff us up with pride, but to remind us that, hey, yeah, I need you, you need me, and it points us all to him, to the one that holds us together. So just encourage you all this week, this month, this year, just make, make encouragement, make showing honor to the people around you, just a regular rhythm of life. It's something that bonds us as, as, a, as a community. It's something that is unique and sets us apart from the rest of the world. Um, John tells us that, Jesus tells us that they will know we are Christians by the love that we have for one another. All right. Um, before we jump into the rest of the text this morning, I want to talk about the word salvation for just a minute. Right? When the Bible talks about salvation, there are, there are really kind of three pieces, three components, um, three Bible words that we use to define the different aspects of what salvation is. Right? And those are justification, sanctification, and glorification. So that first word, justification, is what most of us think of when we hear the word salvation. It is the, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus to bring eternal forgiveness of our sin. That's the most common use of the word salvation that we see in Scripture. Um, the, the passage that we read from Ephesians chapter 2, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. It, it is a once-for-all-time event, our initial justification. We have been saved. The second piece of salvation that we see in Scripture is this ongoing, more present tense work in us, right? If, if you're a Christian, justification is a past tense. You have been saved, and then we have sanctification, and that is present tense. It's ongoing, this ongoing work of Christ in our hearts. Um, most of the time, when, when we're talking about sanctification, we actually don't see the word salvation used. We see other phrases inserted. Um, from 1 Corinthians, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, kind of that active present tense, are being saved, it's the power of God. Hebrews 10, for by a single offering he has perfected all time those who are being sanctified. Right? It's, it's this active, ongoing work that God is doing in us. The final piece of salvation, uh, glorification, is when everything will kind of be made, be made whole. One day, sin will be fully and finally removed from us, There'll be a new heaven, a new earth. will be raised into full glory to be with Jesus. Um, from Romans 13, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So talking about some kind of end. Salvation, final salvation is nearer to us today than when we first believed, right? So justification, right? Justice has been served. This past, we are saved. Sanctification is this ongoing work in our hearts. And glorification is the hope we have in the future that all will be made right. So from our, our section of scripture today, in verse 12, we read that we are, we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. If we take that by itself and, and kind of apply that, that idea of justification, kind of that most common understanding, um, the initial forgiveness of sins that welcomes us into the family of God, this seems kind of confusing. Right? We just read it's by grace we've been saved through faith, but this says work it out on your own. Is that what it means? So does it mean that we're left to our own devices to figure out our own eternal destination? Okay. But if not, then what does it mean? What, what are we dealing with here? Um, 
reading it this way, I, do you feel a little discomfort there? I, I know I do, right? The first time I was reading this, I was like, this, this, this is off, right? That, that my salvation, the most important part of my life, my, the eternal destination of my soul, I'm being told to go figure it out on my own. Um, I know it doesn't mean that, right? We know it doesn't mean that. Um, so, so what does it mean, okay? How does it make you feel when you encounter something like this that feels like it contradicts other truths in Scripture, it's confusing, it's hard, is, is there some unease, unease in your heart, or maybe a lack of confidence, not really knowing what's next? Um, that's what I want to start with this morning, is how do we step into something like this, a statement that seems contradictory, a statement that, that is difficult, um, just... It, it's, this is not the God we know, right? God is, God is love, God is mercy, grace. He's the good shepherd who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't send us out to figure it out ourselves. So what do we do with a passage like this? How do we attack it? Um, so there's four strategies that we're going to kind of employ as we walk through this together. Um, there are hundreds of strategies, different ways to study the Bible, lots of ton of ideas and resources out there. Um, but the four, the four things that I want to look at today are things that I come back to time and time again when I'm working through challenging sections of Scripture, and I think, I think they'll serve us really well this morning. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll really dive in. Um, Lord, thank you for the, the faithful people in our family that continually serve, um, that, that are here for us, for each other, Lord, that, that are walking together the way that um, Timothy and Epaphroditus and Silas and Barnabas and Paul, the way that they walked together in their service to you and to each other, Lord, I um, am thankful for the ways that I am encouraged when I see um, the gifts and talents being, uh, of, of the people in our body being used for the good of the body. Um, thank you, Lord. Thank you for blessing us with uh, so many amazing family members. Um, let me just ask, ask for your help this morning as we dive into this, into this text, into a text that is a little bit more, um, could be more confusing uh, than some others that we've read. Just ask that you will guide us by your spirit, that you help us to, um, to see and understand what you have for us today, that you will reveal uh, the truth of these words um, and, and encourage our hearts, encourage our souls this morning. We pray in your name. Amen. Okay, so practical steps that I take when I start trying to understand a difficult passage, right? Um, the first is the KISS principle. Is anybody familiar with that one? Keep it simple, stupid, right? I'm not the most intelligent person. Keep it simple. Let's keep it easy. Um, we're going to begin with what's clear and simply stated to kind of give us a roadmap to understand what's more complex and confusing. Um, the second is context. Look at the context. Use scripture to understand scripture. Don't pull out a single verse by itself and try and wrestle with it. Um, the third is to, to listen to the saints. Um, Ephesians 4 talks about God has given us apostles and pastors and, and teachers um, to help us grow into maturity. God doesn't expect us to become a Christian and understand the entire Bible the next day. Right? We're, we're called to grow in maturity. He's given us each other to help each other. And then finally, uh, we're going to rely on the Holy Spirit. Right? We, we cannot understand the words of God by ourselves. The Spirit is, uh, reveals truth to us. That's one of the, the roles that Jesus tells the disciples, hey, the Holy Spirit is coming. I'm going to go, and the Spirit is going to guide you into truth. Um, this morning, we'll kind of focus on those first two, the KISS principle, keeping it simple, and then the context. Uh, in doing that, we also will be listening to saints that have come before us. Um, I did a lot of, of prep listening to um, theologians and pastors and people with much more experience and wisdom than I have, and I'm communicating some of that um, to you all. And obviously, as we walk through this together, we're going to be seeking wisdom that comes from the Spirit of God to help us to understand the deeper things of our faith. 
Okay, so I'm going to read um, just these first two verses, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Um, so we have up on the screen here, we have uh, just verse 12 and kind of kind of broken apart. Um, one of the things that I, that I, when I have a complicated thing with a lot of stuff, what's the central focus? What, what is the one thing that the rest of this is kind of pivoting around and focused on? Okay, so the first phrase there, therefore my beloved, so we kind of talking about the past. He said, okay, here's, here's what came before. As you've always obeyed, so we're talking about something that was coming before, getting ready to introduce a new thought. So, okay, so this, this verse isn't focused on, therefore, he's, he's connecting this to, to something else. Okay, but then he goes, right, so as you have always obeyed, so now. He's kind of setting it up, right? If you're talking to someone and they tell you, hey, now, it's, it's kind of an attention grabber, you're paying attention, here's what we're talking about today, right now. Um, then he goes, not only is it in my presence, but much more in my absence, I kind of drew a line through that because that is, he's just reinforcing. It's like, hey, I'm writing this to you from prison. I'm in Rome. I'm not there with you. So, hey, this is super important. Really pay attention because I'm not here with you to help you in this. You, you have to listen. And then he goes, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, so if we, if we kind of pull out again, pull out that middle piece. Therefore, as you've always obeyed, so now work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for... So now he's shifting again to there's the reinforcement behind it, right? For it is God who works in you. So right in the middle of that verse, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The, the beginning points towards it. The end is reinforcing it and pointing back towards it, right? So the central idea of these verses is working out our own salvation. That's, that's what we know we have right here. So we've isolated the central idea of these verses, and it's kind of a confusing statement, right? So again, we want to try and keep things simple. Um, if we pull out the single phrase, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and then we go to other passages like, I, you know, a faith without works is dead, which is true, but what does that mean? Or we go back to the Old Testament, it'd be really easy for us to, oh yeah, we just have to work it out. We have to figure it out. We've got to do the work ourselves. Um, when we take kind of confusing, complicated passages and try to interpret them with other confusing, complicated passages, we end up in really weird places, right? Because we're just circling and circling around this stuff that we can't quite get our heads around. Um, we want to keep it simple. So to keep it simple, we want to start with what are the most basic, clear, foundational truths in Scripture that speak to whatever this idea is. They're clearly stated so that there is no confusion whatsoever, especially with something as foundational as our salvation and eternal destiny. Right? So once we've done that, once we've kind of defined what's simple, that gives us some guardrails that keep us from straying too far away from kind of the core central truths. Right? If we know and understand what is core and central, then we, we know what something, we know what else we encounter that cannot be true, right? If we understand what is true, what is central, what is core, we know what cannot be true. So when we, when we encounter something more complicated, it kind of keeps us moving in the right direction, keeps us from falling too far off the road. Again, tons of ways to do that, lots of resources out there. Um, one easy place is to start with is with your own Bible. Um, most Bibles, if you don't know this, have what's called a concordance near the back. Uh, it's just a list of commonly used words and then references to where you can find them in Scripture. Um, it, like an index, if you're a science person, an index in the back of a science test book. It just here's all the, all the words. Um, so you just flip through and, hey, I'm going to go to the word salvation or go to the word grace or go to the word mercy. And here's all these references so I can go and read and find some, some simple things, some simple truths. Um, 
So let's do that first. Okay, what, what are the fundamental truths of salvation to give us these guardrails to understand? Um, this one I didn't get to Daniel in time uh, to do a slide for this morning, so I'm just going to kind of read these off. Um, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Right, we saw that from Ephesians 2. We are dead to sin, and God makes us alive. Salvation is a gift. It's not something that's earned. We see that in John 3.16, Romans 6.23. Um, salvation is an act of love and mercy. It is not a reward to be earned. It's Titus 3. Um, those who are truly saved and regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit cannot lose that. So I, did, I took, took these verses and kind of put them together, compiled them. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you, and whence, in which you once walked, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of his Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. If you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You're secure. You are held by God. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt, eternal life with Jesus is not something that we can work for. Okay? It is a gift of the mercy and grace of God. We know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's nothing that we can do to influence or sway the love of God for us. Right? You know, Christian, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, that no one and nothing can snatch you away from the hand of God. Okay, so there's that fundamental truth about the initial act of salvation, the justification. So if we bring that foundational truth into Philippians, now we can approach a statement like this with some confidence, knowing, okay, it, it can't mean this, it can't mean that. Here, now we've got some guardrails to keep, us, to keep us on the path. We don't have to be afraid of complex passages when we know who we are, secure in Christ. So when we read the call to work out our own salvation, we know it can't be talking about justification. Right? We've seen that over and over again, salvation by grace, right, through faith. If you need a little bit more convincing, we can also remember who the book of Philippians is written to. Uh, it's a letter from Paul to this church. At the beginning of chapter 1, he said to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Right, so he's assuming that everyone reading this is a Christian. From the beginning, he says, hey, this is addressed to Christians. Obviously, there's people who aren't Christians hearing the words, but his direction, the, these words that he's saying are directed to believers, right? So again, he is even assuming that you're reading this. He says again, therefore, my beloved, reminding them he's talking to them, you're already a Christian. You've already been justified. That's taken care of. So now work it out, okay? So I believe that that then is talking about sanctification, that ongoing work of Christ. There's a whole lot we can do ourselves for glorification, right? That is Jesus coming back to make all things new. I, I can't compel Jesus to come back sooner. I'm not going to take part in create a new heaven, new earth, right? That, that end glorification is Jesus returning, which leaves us just with the present tense sanctification. Okay, so coming back in, right? We kind of have our guardrails. We're looking at sanctification here. Let's come back to verse 12 again. 
Um, the first word is therefore. So I don't, know, I don't know if this is a Midwest thing or maybe even just my dad, but when you see the word therefore in scripture, what's the question that we ask? Does anybody know? There, there we go. Midwest, there we go. What is the therefore, therefore? Okay, what is the therefore, therefore? It's the easiest way to remember that. Um, when we ask that question because the word therefore, it's a transitional statement pointing us backwards. Okay, it, it, typically it's, you've, you've kind of built an argument. We're starting with a statement of truth, some point of theology, and that then moves us towards application. Right? God did X, God is X, Jesus is X, therefore we should do Y. Right? So that therefore is the, hey, here's the motivation behind what I'm about to tell you. That becomes even more important when we're talking about a more complex or difficult to understand statement because if we understand the motivation and the reason behind it, that gives us some clues as to what it actually is talking about. So therefore, in verse 12, talking backwards to the passage that Jared preached from last week, um, the one that we have printed on cards that we're memorizing together, that's what this therefore is pointing at us backwards, the previous 11 verses. So I'm gonna just kind of skim and, and summarize um, Paul's encouraging them, hey, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort, um, be unified, uh, be of the same mind, don't be selfish. Um, and then he says in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, Again, therefore, so Jesus did all these things. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, therefore. Verse 12. Uh, Jesus Christ is Lord, written to a church living under Roman rule, with a Caesar who wanted to be worshipped as Lord. I mean, that, that statement right there to say Jesus Christ is Lord could get you persecuted, could get you killed, whatever it was. Just that single statement in Roman culture, that was a big, big deal. So for him to say, so Jesus Christ is Lord, therefore, this is a big deal, pay attention. Um, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Okay. Jesus Christ is Lord with the name above every other name, including Caesar, and then he says, as you have always obeyed. So Jesus is Lord, that's who we obey. Not Caesar, not anything, not anyone else. Jesus is Lord, and we obey. Okay. So when, now when he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, he's talking about there's a connection to obedience here. Okay. Jesus is Lord, therefore, therefore as you have always obeyed, so the implication is to continue to do that, right? Continue to obey by working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Right? It's this, this ongoing, ongoing work in us. Um, the idea of, of workout here, right? In the original Greek, I had to write down the pronunciation, katergadzomihi, I'm probably saying that wrong. Um, we see that word many times throughout the New Testament, especially in the, the books that, uh, that Paul authored. Every time the idea is it's, it's to produce something, to bring something about. Um, so thinking about this word working out, like working out, like physically working out. It's actually a pretty good analogy for what's being said here. Um, I was a, a basketball player in high school. Um, I lifted weights. I ran wind sprints to strengthen my shoulders, my legs. Um, I had to be, I'm not the tallest, so I had to be pretty stout to be able to do that. Um, I did plenty of curls to tone my biceps, right? Curls for the girls. Um, <laughs> I trained my body for that activity. 
right? It was an ongoing work that I was doing because I wanted to bring about a stronger, faster, healthier version of myself, right? I wanted to be able to obey my coach on the basketball court when he said, hey, do this or do that, guard this person, stand strong, get the rebound, whatever it was, right? I wanted to, in unity with my teammates, to be able to overcome our enemy and win the game. Okay? A high school basketball game has 32 minutes of movement, action, right, four eight-minute quarters. I trained and practiced for hundreds of hours. I, if I were to sit down and do the math, including time I spent during the summer, I, you know, I probably spent two hours of practice for every minute I spent actually playing in a game, right? Because I knew it was a lot of work for me to be able to step out there, um, but I wanted to please my coach with my effort to be able to obey his commands. I wanted to strive faithfully with my teammates. I um, wanted to, to be strong and basketball jerseys are sleeveless, so everyone can see how ripped I was. Um, but that's, that's the idea here, right? We're working out to prepare for this. Um, Charles Spurgeon explains the idea of the ongoing work of sanctification, okay? Though the nature which the Spirit implants is perfect in its kind and in its degree, yet it is not perfect in its development. It is a seed which needs to work itself out into a tree. It is an infant which requires to grow into the stature of a perfect man, right? So the, the Spirit is, is perfect, but there's work that has to be done to cultivate that. The, in, in its core, in its nature, it's perfect, but it is immature and has to be, has to be grown. God having first worked it in, right, justification, God has worked it in, it becomes the business of the Christian to work it out, to work out the secret inner principle till it permeates the entire system, till it overcomes the old nature, till it, in fact, utterly destroys inbred corruption and reigns supreme in the man's every part, as it shall do when the Lord takes us to dwell with himself forever. So God works it in, justification, we work it out through our entire life, sanctification, until the Lord takes us to dwell with him forever, glorification, right? That, that's the call here. The call is to work it out, to obey. He says to do it with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So what does that mean? What are, what are we afraid of? What are we trembling about? If our eternal destination is secure, why is there fear and trembling involved here? The idea of fear we see in a lot of places in Scripture is, is, yes, there's the, oh, I'm afraid fear, but there's also a fear that's more just like a respect, a reverence, an awe um, for God, for who he is, for what he's capable of. Um, growing up, I feared my dad. Like, I feared his discipline. I feared, I wasn't afraid of him. He wasn't abusive towards me, but I feared him as my father, as my authority. Um, there's a fear that comes with, like, when we encounter the power of God, there's like a, like a holy, oh, I am here and he is there. Um, but the resurrection of Christ in Matthew 28, right? So it says that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. So they, they went to see where Jesus was buried. And there was a great earthquake. An angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. So the guards who didn't know what was happening, they straight just passed out. Um, but the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, so different type of fear, for I, knew that you seek, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he has said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he risen from the dead and behold he's going before you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Okay, so fear and joy. They had experienced, they had encountered the holiness, a piece of the holiness of God. This, this angel's appearance was like lightning. The stone was rolled away. Jesus had risen from the dead. Like they had experienced God's power over death, 
right? There was this, this holy fear of what God was capable of, how, how big and separate and other he is. That's, that's, that's the, the fear of, of salvation. It's, it's not, we're not afraid of anything, right? But it's, man, Jesus came and lived and died and raised from the dead for me, right? There, there's a, an awe with that. God, God is so holy and perfect and he wants to know me, right? There, there's, a, there's an incredible awe and reverence in that. As we work out our salvation, our sanctification, we're remembering the justification, the work that has been done as a motivation to continue. I'm talking about, about trembling. If you, were, if you were here last summer when I preached from Isaiah 6, right, the, the encounter of the holiness of God in the throne room talks about the, the, there was an earthquake, right? The earth was shaking at the presence of God. When we, when we truly understand who God is and what he's done, understand our justification for what it is, there's this, this awe, this, this trembling, this shaking of, oh, this, this is the God that I'm following, right? That's, he's reminding them of what God has done for them. I don't know about you. This all sounds hard. <laughs> um, I, don't know, I don't know about anybody else, but I struggle to obey Jesus, right? I struggle to obey Jesus. I slip into patterns of following my own, my own sin, my own desires. Um, you know, and Paul's saying, hey, work it out. Go do it. It's like, okay, but, but this, this is hard. <laughs> um, and that's why he gives us verse 13, okay? Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my, as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for, because, and it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God knows this is hard. He's not asking us to do it alone, okay? He promises, and the way it's worded is a little bit, little bit awkward, but he promises to form and shape our will, our desire, right, our heart motivation towards him, to obey him, right? We, we need our wills to be reshaped, our desires to be formed, shaped around him, and, and he says to, he is working in us our will and our work for his pleasure. So the actions that we take, he's helping us in the actions that we take even. So our motivation and in how we express that out. Again, feels like there's a little bit of, okay, we're told to work out our salvation, but God's doing the work in us. So who, who's responsible here? Which is it? Is, is it our responsibility or is God's responsibility? I believe the answer to that, to those questions, is yes. Okay, we are fully responsible and God is fully sovereign. Um, I believe that both are true because the Bible teaches that both are true. Um, the wages of sin is death and God is fully sovereign in all things. Um, D.A. Carson kind of help, helps to walk through this as well. It is vitally important to grasp the connection between God's sovereignty and our responsibility in verses 12 and 13. The text does not say, work to acquire salvation, for God has done his bit, and now it's up to you. Nor does it say, you may already have your salvation, but now perseverance in it depends entirely on you. Still less does it say, let go and let God, just relax. The Spirit will carry you. Rather, Paul tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling precisely because... God is working in us both to will and to act according to his good purpose. At one, of the apostle, at one of the apostles' discouraging periods of life and ministry, God encourages him by assuring him that he should preach on and endure precisely because God already has many people in the city of Corinth, and thus they are bound to be called forth at the right time by the preaching of the word. God is at work, and we are at work working together in this. He sets the way, and we walk in it. Um, there's, there's a... a couple verses in Matthew 11 
that, that I think kind of help, help to understand a little bit of this as well. Um, Jesus says, come to me, all who are laboring or heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the, the idea of a yoke, oxen, right? So you're, you, if you don't know, um, oxen or horses, you put something kind of over their neck. You lash two or four, however many together. And then that yoke is what whoever the person driving they have whatever they're pulling on to steer and help and guide and direct. Okay, so Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. So take, take that upon you. Um, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. God is the one shaping and forming our will. He's the one working in us and for us to make us like Jesus. So we can either join him in that work, walk in that path that he lays before us, uh, following the direction and the guidance of that yoke, or we can resist it and fight it and push back every step of the way. Okay. When we resist and fight, we, the result is, is kind of a stunted growth and development as a Christian. Right? When we walk with him, working together, the result is a flourishing in our spiritual life. Um, there's another quote from, from D.A. Carson that, that I've used before that I think is, is helpful as well. No one is more miserable than, than, than the Christian who for a time hedges in his obedience. He does not love sin enough to enjoy its pleasures. Right? Christ has changed us. And he does not love Christ enough to relish holiness. He perceives that his rebellion is iniquitous, but obedience seems distasteful. He does not feel at home any longer in the world, but the memory of his past associations and the tantalizing lyrics of his old music prevent him from singing with the saints. He is a man most to be pitied. When we push back on obedience to Christ and persist in our sin, we're trying to live following our old nature, right? But now we have the indwelling spirit of God working in us to change our will, to change our work. And so the result is that we just kind of tread water. Right? We're, not, we're not moving forward, we're not moving backwards, right? God doesn't let us get snatched out of his hands. So he's kind of keeping us, pushing us, holding us secure in our justification. But we aren't able to move forward in our sanctification because we're fighting it. We're pushing back and we're just kind of stuck and going nowhere. And that, that's just a really, really sad place to be because you can't live life in the old way, because God, God said, no, you're worth more than that. You're more valuable than that. I'm going to keep you here, but we can't enjoy the freedom and, and, and life that comes with that because we keep fighting it and pushing back on it. Um, it's like my Sammy, our four-year-old, when, for whatever reason, decides he doesn't want to brush his teeth tonight or take off his clothes or whatever it is, whatever stupid thing he's arguing about. Um, in our house, the, where our bathroom is, there's a hallway to get to the bathroom to brush our teeth. And so we'll go, and he'll walk, and then he'll stop at the end of the hall. I'm like, nope, there's two walls, and I'm here. We're not going backwards. We're going there. And he's like, nope. And he'll sit down, whatever he does, right? And he's just, he's stuck right there. He knows that I'm not going to let him get away, but he's not going to keep moving. So we're just going to sit there until whatever happens, happens, right? That's, that's, I think, is the idea here of God's work in us and also our responsibility going hand in hand together. So what do we do, right? If we're, if we're stuck in the mud, what do we do? So right after this, this exhortation to work out our salvation, and the reminder that God is the one working in us, um, there are some immediate practical steps. I mean, obviously, all of Scripture, there's, there's laws, there's encouragement, there's ideas, there's all kinds of things that we can do to obey Jesus, to follow him, to walk in sanctification. But in this, in this particular section, um, for whatever, whatever reason it was, Paul said, hey, these are the things that I'm going to tell you right now also with this. So verses, uh, starting in verse 14 here, 14 through 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, 
holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So the immediate encouragement that Paul gives us here is to do all things without grumbling or disputing. And this, is, and this, this has been what he's, he's talked about from the beginning. You know, a couple weeks ago, looking at the end of, of chapter one, talks about, hey, we're, we're united in one spirit, striving side by side. There's this unity um, in our faith, right? So unity in our faith. And now he's talking about unity in our actions. Um, we stand firm, we strive, we're not frightened by opponents to the gospel. And now we are to do things without arguing, disputing. So he's calling us to a unity of faith and a unity of action. Okay. Chapter two, humility, humility, humility. I mean, there's this, this constant, and humility kind of others more significant than yourselves. Christ showed us this humility, right? There's this incredible picture of humility. Now he says, don't grumble, don't complain, don't dispute, don't argue. If we're standing firm in our faith, side by side in unity, humbly recognizing the authority of Christ, showing love and preference to our brothers and sisters in Christ, right, our life is going to be marked by a lack of disputes, a lack of arguing, and a lack of complaining or grumbling, right? Because we have joy in our Savior. When we, when we see who Jesus is and who we are, we have no reason to complain because the biggest things are taken care of. Our identity is covered. Jesus is firm and secure. What's the result then, right? The result of living a life like that, if we are, are humble and unified, it says that we will be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Other places in scripture, right, we're, we're described as the salt of the earth. We're called a shining city on a hill. Um, and what's everything, if, if there's one thing that everyone you work with, everyone you see, what's one thing everybody, it, it's super easy to relate about, Right? Complaining about how much life sucks, right? Anybody can do that. I, can, I could walk, walk to work. I could walk outside and find someone on the side of the road. And what sucks in your life right now? And like, we could talk for hours, right? That's, that's just like this universal, we all know how to complain and know how to do it really well. Um, right? My boss did that. This food is gross. The construction on the 520 bridge is messing up my commute. Um, the Seahawks are terrible. Why can't we have a winning team with a real quarterback like the Chiefs? Had to slip one in there towards the end here. Um, but when we live our lives without complaining, united together, right, it says that we shine in the world around us. It doesn't mean that we just accept whatever's happening with a smile on our face, right? God doesn't call us to be doormats, just lay down and take it. And he doesn't tell us to suppress our emotions and bury it, right? He calls us to speak the truth in love. We can push back and not be taken advantage of. We can express the sadness or frustration that we feel about injustice in the world, injustice at work, but when we do it in a way that's not complaining, in a, way that, in a way that moves us towards reconciliation and peace with one another, in a way that focuses on the brokenness of our world instead of making it about how unfair it is to me, make, when we don't make it about ourselves, right, the beauty of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit shine forth in the world around us. And that's going to point people who don't know him towards him. It's going to point us, each other, towards him. It's going to remind us ourselves when we, when we speak that way and live that way. It reminds us of what Jesus has done, which then moves us towards more obedience. Right? This idea of not grumbling, not complaining, accepting who Jesus is, what he's done, walking in joy, that moves us towards that obedience because we're constantly reminding ourselves, no, this is, this is the will of God for my life. Let's going to wrap up with, uh, with kind of one, just one final, one final thought. Therefore, my beloved, as you continue to walk in obedience to our Lord, to our Savior Jesus Christ, submit to him. Listen to his words and directions and take steps to produce the fruit of sanctification in your life. 
Remember, you're not alone. God has laid the path out in front of you. He has given you the playbook in his word. As you seek to follow him, remember we are living in front of a world that is stuck in sin, stuck in blindness, and stuck in their own way of doing things. Most of all, we're living in front of a world that is consumed with the pursuit of self and whatever is good for me. If we walk together in unity with our arguing and fighting over petty issues, people will notice something different about our community. If we're walking in joy, taking opportunities to complain and turning them into opportunities to speak the truth in love, we will shine forth in the midst of this crooked and broken world. That's, that's the ongoing work of sanctification, is to shape us, to form us, so that we can carry out the Great Commission and be the shining city on a hill that we're called to be. God doesn't leave us to do it alone. Right? That's, that's what, we, what we celebrate every week when we, when we take communion, is that God has not left us alone. He has sent Jesus to save us, the initial act, and then the Spirit comes to indwell us as well, as well to walk with us through all of life until that one day when we are finally glorified with Him. And that's, that's what we remember. That's what we're celebrating this morning as we take communion, is that we have, have a Savior, we have a Helper, and we have um, a Father as well. The three, three persons of the Trinity together walking with us. So we'll, we'll take communion here in a minute. Um, I'm going to pray. We'll take a minute. And I just encourage you, as we kind of have the moment of silence before communion, um, remember what God has done. Thank him for what he has done. And if there's the, whatever that one thing is, if there's something holding you back, if there's something that you've been struggling with, whatever it is, pray over that specific thing this morning. If, if there's whatever the one thing is that you're stuck in, whatever the one thing is that's stopping you from believing, that's stopping you from, from moving forward, whatever the one thing is that, that you just, ah, yeah, you won't lay it down, pray over that. I'm not saying it's going to get fixed today. I'm not saying he's going to, all of a sudden, you're, it's, it's, it's done and over. Um, but those are the things. When, we, when those big things, when we finally be able to submit those and really work through those, those are the things that increase our joy tenfold in relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to pray, and we'll take our time. Um, Lord, thank you, for, thank you for being our Lord. Thank you that we do not place our hope, our obedience in a political power or a military leader or a sports team, or a company, or our own ability to, to get things done. Um, Lord, thank you that we have you outside of ourselves. That is, as much as our world would, would argue, that is such a kindness to have a perfect, holy um, master and Lord over us, carrying us, leading us, guiding us, so that we can, when we stumble and fall, look up and you're there to keep us moving along, to keep us on the path of holiness. Um, I just want to pray for, for everyone in the room, everyone listening, that uh, whatever the thing is, Lord, whatever it is that, that we are struggling to, to turn over to you um, today, Lord, that you, will, um, that you will break down those barriers, that you will remind us of who you are, remind us of the joy that comes with obedience to you, remind us that um, however much we think and keep pursuing this thing, it always leaves us empty, it always leaves us wanting more, and so we chase more of it and more of it and more of it because it is a false god. Lord, help us to lay down those idols, to lay down those false gods, and to walk, to work out our sanctification um, with, with fear and trembling, for you are at work in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching to a time of response. While we recognize it may be hard to capture that as you listen online, we encourage you to take a moment to reflect on and respond to what the Spirit might be telling you in response to what you've heard. For more resources and to find out how you can join with us on Gathering on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. And as we say each week, Christ is all and we are His.